Hi and welcome to the Her Forum podcast. We're a platform and community for women in law and aim to bring to you personal and professional insights from some amazing women with strong voices in the field of law. Hi Smita, thank you so much for joining us on Her Forum today. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to start off by uh, introducing you uh, briefly. Um, Smita is a tech lawyer in the Silicon Valley. She um, is currently a a product counsel at Apple and um, has served as the young privacy professional leader for the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also really passionate about um, women's rights and is the founder of the UN Women SF uh, chapter. And um, prior to moving to the US, she worked at the Supreme Court as a litigation attorney in India, and then uh, went on to pursue her master's at Berkeley. Um, So I'm really excited to talk to Smita about her experience in tech law, which is personally a field that I'm very interested in. Um, I wanted to start off by um, sort of taking you back to when you moved to the US. And, um, you know, you had completed your um, degree from Berkeley. um, And you then I wanted to know sort of what motivated you to stay on in the US and work in the tech law space. And um, I mean, tech law is something that's growing all over the world, even in India, particularly, um, you know, Bangalore is a hub for that. So did you ever consider moving back to India? And how did you make the decision to stay on and build your career over there? Good question. So when I came to Berkeley, I came to do a specialization in law and technology. Um, And so when I started to take those courses, I realized that there is an entire field called, you know, IP transactions, which is kind of IP in tech law focused on just the transactional aspects of it, which is, I think, a very sort of unique practice that that is growing here in in law firms and in tech companies. And specifically because it's Silicon Valley, I felt like that was just a practice that appealed to me. And so I was, you know, I, I felt like it was the right place, right time to do, you know, do that practice here. Um, yeah. And so I sort of just sat for the bar um, and then got a job at a you know, great law firm. And so decided to see where, where it would take me. And uh, it's been great so far. Okay. Um, so you're obviously currently working in a field, um, in a place which is the hub of, of innovation. And um, I recently, I mean, all of us have been reading about the advancement that are, advancements that are happening in this space. I read about a Stanford graduate who had made this app that is uh, basically settles consumer disputes for you, like parking tickets and things like that. So I think we're moving closer and closer to what um, people call um, legal robots. Um, so I wanted to understand from you being uh, where you are and seeing, uh, doing the work that you do, how, to what extent do you think the legal field is already automated and how far do you see it going in the near future? I think there's a way to go. Um, I am seeing some, you know, some firms use like, I guess, automation software for like diligence or like document review, essentially to be able to like catch the right kind of terms you know, to flag the right terms in, in terms of a mergers and acquisitions context that could be potentially problematic or something like that. But I think, I think there's still a while to go before, um, you know, we can fully rely on automation for lawyering. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic and let's see, I'd be very interested to see how, um, you know, AI transforms the space in the future. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's, that's very interesting because 
especially feels like within IP itself, whether it's trademark filing, you know, uh, prosecution, there's a lot of that that very obviously we can see very quickly being automated, right? So what, I mean, what, what aspect of it do you think is that, that will essentially need lawyers full term? Because a lot of this is already automated in a lot of parts of the world. I think it, generally in terms of lawyering, there's an emotional intelligence quotient to it in terms of how, you know, when you, at least when you negotiate deals, there's a lot of understanding what the other person, where the other person's coming from, negotiating leverage. So I think there's some sort of human aspect to negotiations and even litigation, I would think, you know, there's, and I think that certainly um, is, would, would potentially be something that might be difficult for AI to emulate. But then again, I, I don't know, let's, who knows, right, what the future holds, but I would think that that would be something that would be a little difficult to replace. Um, so I think we can, we can be safe uh, for now in our jobs. Exactly. So like you said, who knows, right? So because I guess there's so much disruption happening. So is there anything you feel that as someone um, in, in this generation of, of lawyers who are, who are getting into, say, the tech law space, do you think that there are certain things that we need to be mindful of to be better prepared for a career, considering that times are changing and what was considered good enough to succeed five years ago is not good enough anymore? Um, are there certain aspects of law we should... Um, yeah, I think AI is going to affect how um, lawyers, lawyers' opportunities in, in that way. I think, if anything, it's going to be an aid for lawyers to perhaps not do all the admin tasks of, you know, just reviewing provisions in the contract or something. But I think um, the tech law is a very burgeoning field and definitely something that I highly encourage young lawyers to consider. Um, and if anything, you know, someone has to operate the AI software, the AI software messes something up, someone's going to get sued, right? So I think there's always going to be opportunities for lawyers to step in and make a difference. So I don't, I wouldn't see AI as being necessarily something that lawyers have to worry about. I think it's something they should probably be excited about. That's really comforting to hear. Um, and that's great. I think what you said is correct. It probably will go hand in hand. Um, so, um, moving on, I mean, you have worked, um, with a lot of one like some of the biggest technology companies. And I remember reading about, um, about you talking about how you've worked with companies that have really disrupted a lot of, um, a lot of different, uh, market spaces. Um, could you talk about, you know, some of the most exciting or challenging, um, deals? I mean, of, of course, not specifically, but experiences that you've had in this space and uh, moments in your career so far that you felt were really impactful. Yeah, um, I mean, I think a lot of it has been so, so um, challenging and, and satisfying in the sense of, um, you know, I work with, I work with a lot of startups back at my law firms. And I think a lot of deals and a lot of like issues that impact startups in like the AI space, um, in like robotics and, and so many other things that people are just thinking of are, are so unique. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of um, you being, you know, you sort of analyzing law based on first impressions. There isn't a precedent. There isn't, a, you know, a form template agreement you can sort of look at. You're you're making the template, right? Like you're you're making um, you're the first. You might be, you know, one of the first lawyers to even have considered the problem because um, 
you, you're dealing with one of the companies to have first created the deck. So I think particularly back in 2017, I remember there was a spate of blockchain companies that were starting to sort of come, come to the fore. And that was very exciting because again, um, people were just still trying to understand what the tech was. And um, so that was very exciting to be one of the few lawyers uh, at that time to be really in this space and working with very exciting companies. So it's been a fun ride. Okay, that's really cool. Um, I um, I also wanted to touch a bit upon uh, data privacy because I know that's a field you have a lot of expertise in as well. Um, I know in California, they just passed the California Privacy Protection Act um, some time ago. And um, in India, of course, it's it's a law that's still developing. Um, and in fact, in 2017, in the uh, Puttaswamy judgment, um, they held right to privacy as a constitutional right. And now the data protection bill is underway. But there's also a lot of debate around that and how um, something like this would include a lot of government intervention um, and a lot of increase um, in what companies would have to comply by. So what are your views on the future of data privacy um, you know, around the world and maybe even specifically in India since it's still a law that's developing here? Right, so I think in general, a lot of countries and companies are, are coming to realize that this is like an important facet uh, something that's important to consumers, something that's important to companies. Um, and again, data security goes hand in hand with that. So I think where we're going to probably end up is that, um, you know, possibly all the countries are, and all the companies out there are going to adopt sort of the most stringent standard out there. So like if, let's say it's the GDPR in the EU or it's the CCPA in California, or, you know, the India Data Protection Bill in India, or wh whatever happens to be, I think the the sort of the highest, um, the most stringent form is probably going to be the one adopted because I think a lot of companies are not going to want to do, you know, I, I just think it might be the most, the least, the most effective way of, of complying with everything to just be uh, at that adoption point where, you know, you're already complying with the most stringent law out there. And, and I think that, that is going to be, um, you know, we'll see how, how that plays out. But I think uh, that's just sort of an evolving field as to, you know, what would what the market and what consumers are comfortable with and what consumers sort of realize they have rights to. And um, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I think it's definitely a space to watch and, um, and I, I can definitely see that, you know, the GDPR, the CCPA um, is definitely having an effect on other countries that are also sort of coming, coming sort of uh, up to speed on, you know, what data privacy means and, and how, uh, and the importance of it. And so the legal tech space is something which is, of course, like evolving rapidly right now um, compared to other fields of law. But um, and, and a lot of other fields of law have been around for decades. But I think that um, like I, I, I'm not sure how it was when you really got into the field. So were there a lot of women uh, in, in tech law when you joined? And um, hmm. I, I mean, I, not a lot of women. I don't think there are a lot of women in, in any of the rooms where they belong. Uh, so I think that's definitely just something that we are building on and working towards and um, certainly that's something that requires change. But having said that, there were certainly a few role models that I've had along the way, um, you know, a few professors, bosses, 
uh, peers, colleagues, friends, um, you know, that are really sort of killing it in this space. Um, they're very inspiring. Um, and so, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate to definitely see some people that are doing great work in the space. But having said that, you should always feel like you can be the first one to do something. Um, certainly, um, you know, you don't have to be like, well, I don't see a female CEO, so should I not aspire to be a CEO? Certainly not. Um, yeah, definitely break the barriers. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, just sort of not have, just don't, don't let that be an impediment to you trying to achieve something. Um, yeah. Is there anyone specific who comes to mind for you? I mean, not just in tech law, but in general, like when you started off, someone you looked up to um, as a female lawyer? Um, yeah, actually, I, mean, I, had a, I had a female boss. Uh, so she's still a, a mentor of mine at Kirkland. Her name was Shannon Yaworski. Um, she's a terrific lawyer and a genuinely nice human being who has really helped um, I think all of her female colleagues and mentees um, to sort of succeed. Um, so she still remains a very good friend and then also, um, you know, a great lawyer and a great mentor. Okay. Um, you have extensive experience working in this field um, and it's constantly advancing um, in the current ecosystem, but we're currently also living in a time which is extremely disruptive considering um, the current times, which would, um, which would, I see like a lot of big challenges post COVID um, for a lot of different industries. Um, what, is, what, is, what do you see as the, the biggest changes that would happen uh, in terms of technology companies post COVID? I think there's just, you know, obviously there's going to be differences in, I mean, not even, if, I don't think this, question should even be phrased just for like tech companies. I think there's going to be a new normal generally in how people behave um, and, you know, how our life is. So certainly I'm not an expert on that, uh, but, you know, there's just going to be a difference in how we buy things, how we um, interact with each other. Uh, I think, you know, something from like a general context, like, starting a new job. I mean, I just read an article today about like how it's going to be so much different to onboard someone once when they start in the middle of a pandemic. Certainly, right? Like, um, I, definitely a debate can happen over like, how do you, how do you balance that need of, uh, you know, getting people up to speed, but then also, uh, you know, being mindful of the fact that there's a pandemic going on. So I think Definitely the world post-COVID is going to be different. And I think, as you mentioned, it's, it's you know, definitely I think contactless uh, payment options I'm, I'm assuming would, would be a great idea. I think definitely um, strides that are made in artificial intelligence to limit person-to-person -person contact would, would probably be, um, you know, really successful. Um, so yeah, certainly there's, a, I, I, I see a lot of, opportunity for tech to step in and help uh, certainly like contact tracing is all already or contact tracing apps out there have already really helped so um, you know right. I, I'd be I, I'd be interested to you know have this conversation once we are post-covid because I'm excited about that stage <laughs>
and and i love that you're um, you know so positive about it um, and and see that as like so much opportunity but especially from a legal perspective i think a lot of people are also talking about how it's great that tech is going to play a role and that's so exciting but there are also certain things that a lot of people feel can't be overcome for example whether it's going to court and and being able to deliver arguments which uh, a lot of people feel would be a lot more convincing and impactful than if it was done digitally um so those factors which which are very obviously going to be affected negatively um do you see any ways to overcome that um do you think we would have I to mean, I mean i i'm sure i'm sure like the 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 procedure will evolve um the judges will evolve the courts will evolve uh the plaintiffs and the defendants will evolve like you know i think um it's certainly if there are challenges there will certainly be other measures that you know people put in place to overcome them um you know definitely there's an argument to be made as you just made it about how um being in person adds a sort of human quotient and emotional quotient and you know makes your arguments more forceful but perhaps then you know we'll have these video conferencing technologies uh evolved to to a point where uh, that's hopefully largely mitigated or uh you know just uh, you know technologies that we use to uh provide arguments um you know are are again advanced to a stage where largely we can um be as persuasive and as effective without having be you know been sort of in court in person um yeah right um okay so j- just changing course slightly i i read like a beautiful poem that that you wrote recently in relation to the current movement course that's happening in the us and around the world um and as an indian woman with a successful career um in the bay area do you have any advice for how women of color can um you know succeed in the workplace or, or i mean or, or just in general for for how to na- navigate um you know uh and and are there any things that you see changing with the current climate um i mean i think certainly that it's just like i said it's 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 sometimes it's i feel like it's almost a cliche but i i think it's very important to like sort of just believe in your abilities and believe in yourself um uh, think that you could possibly be the first woman in a room if it's just full of uh people that don't look like you enter it anyway um and then also once you enter the room bring more people behind you just leave the door open and let other people sort of come in uh so you don't have to be the only person who looks like you do um so certainly i think a, a large part of that has been just uh being a, a little bit adventurous a little bit curious and a little bit brave um and and i think that that's all you need um in terms of uh you know how to how to succeed in 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 you know um uh, conventional terms or i i mean i think really i i feel like a, a lot of uh women in india a lot of women all across the world have been doing really great work um and i'm only seeing progress um uh, so i'm very optimistic about the future and and from what like movements around the world are are going to and and the way that they're going to impact uh women's rights right and and i i see you doing that as well in terms of i mean i i 
I know you started the UN uh, Women San Francisco chapter. So, um, I mean, could you briefly? Oh, I, let me correct you. That I didn't start the UN Women SF chapter. I started the Young Professionals Committee under the uh, UN Women US SF chapter. Okay. So, yeah, just wanted to make that. You started the Young Professionals Committee. That's right. Okay. Uh, which which is sort of a sits under the umbrella of the I'm I of the UN Women USASF chapter, and it's a, you know tries to essentially promote, uh, encourage and like empower women um, that are just sort of starting out in their professional journey. Uh, we try and you know connect mentors and mentees within the community. We try and uh, we're working on providing perhaps programming that will help. Uh, be relevant to them in their job search um, or, uh, you know, just generally providing a, a space in which they can share and meet other people that are, uh, have the same sort of challenges and pitfalls. Uh, so, yeah, very excited about that. that that's definitely been um, something that's very, um, that I'm very passionate about. Uh, sort of, like I said, letting people, uh, letting other women also sort of um, you know, succeed, empowering them, mentoring where I can. Um, I think it's definitely important for all of us to rise together. I think that's amazing. And I think that's probably the most important thing and very encouraging for a lot of people. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And this was great. And I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for more.